If you are in crisis in the United States, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. This is a real and ongoing discussion about depression and suicide, about how it impacts individuals, families, and the society we live in. My name is Kevin Cotter, and I'm glad I didn't kill myself. Welcome back to another podcast. This is Kevin Cotter, and today we're doing something really cool because this is the first time I've got to talk to one of my own uh, fellow NAMI Greater Houston members. And so without further ado, Kiwana Edmondson, how are you today? I'm great, and I'm so excited. I'm kind of giddy. Well, well good, <laughs> good. Show. That's, that's uh, it is quite an honor for everybody. You know, it, this is really the first step to um, a Nobel Peace Prize, Nobel Peace Prize and a Academy Award. So, so congrats. I just want to congratulate you in advance on that. So, um, we haven't done any events together, so I don't know much about your story, but why don't we start with how you got involved with NAMI? Um, what led you to to start sharing your story with the world? Okay, well, back in about 2019, I had a psychotic episode. It was my first one. Okay. I have the diagnosis of bipolar type 2. Now I have, as I've gotten older, I have acquired the diagnosis of uh, psychosis as well. So I have to take medicine for bipolar and psychosis. But anyway, in 2019, um, I had a psychotic episode. I was really stressed on the job and stress is what usually kicks me over into either a manic phase Mm -hmm. or having a psychosis episode. And I went to my boss because I'm a nurse. So I went to my boss who used to be over the psych department where I worked. Oh, wow. Okay. I went to her and I finally told her something's wrong with me. My perception is off. Everything looks like it's moving. It's just weird. This is, I would not wish this on anyone. And she looked up places that I could go for immediate help to get me back on medication because I stopped taking my medication, Hmm. which... I'm not sure what the name of the place was, but they were a clinic and they immediately Mm -hmm. that day they got me on medication. And the next week or so later, she said, I want you to call this place. It's called NAMI. And she told she has a place on the board. And she said, I want you to call them and talk to them. And I also had a son that is has severe diagnoses. Okay. Excuse me. And she was, I think she was wanting me to get in. We've lost you for a second here. You still hear me, Kevin? Yeah, now I can. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think. So much for that Academy Award. (laughs) 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 Sorry to interrupt. I am a smart ass and that's, you know, that's. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh my goodness, you're too funny. <laughs> so, you so you 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 have one of your one of your children also has a yes. Diagnosis. One of my children has diagnosis as well. So I think the initial thought was she wanted me to get involved so I could have uh, coping mechanisms and strategies through NAMI mm-hmm. to take care of my son because that was stressing me out a lot as well. Sure. And I got connected. I immediately started taking some classes. And my idea was I want to get involved so I can help other people know that they're not by themselves. Yeah. They're not the only ones like this. So I uh, took a bunch of classes, became a facilitator for a recovery support group, a family support group. I was a facilitator for the hmm, Cypress location. First it was the Woodlands, then it was a Cypress location for maybe a year and a half. Wow. And uh, then I started doing IOOB in our own course. And I've spoken at maybe five places so far this year. And so were you doing the the peer-to-peer classes or was it the family-to-family classes that you were doing? Uh, I did the peer-to-peer. Okay. And I also did the family uh, family support. Okay. Is that different than the, the family-to-family or? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, yes, sir. Okay. The, the peer-to-peer, which is called Connections Recovery, mm-hmm. are for people that have a diagnosis or can identify with the diagnosis. But the family support group is for people that take care of other people with a diagnosis or have a loved one, a friend, anybody like that family is to give them support mm-hmm. while they are supporting the person with the diagnosis. And, and one of the great things for those of you listening that don't know, um, all the classes that NAMI offers throughout the country are no charge. And yes. It's really a phenomenal place to begin to not only learn about the illnesses themselves, but but also be around people that are going through the same thing that you're going through, which I think is one of the most incredible things about NAMI and organizations like it, that it, it you know, people understand. And mm-hmm. that's what was so big for me when I first, after my diagnosis was, was really, it's, I'm around people who understand what I'm what I'm going through and I don't have right. to hold it all inside anymore and feel like I'm the worst human being on the planet that it's uh, that it's mm-hmm. it's a safe place and and then the you know the stronger you get then you can begin telling your story to other people and they so so yeah well congratulations I'm I'm glad I'm glad you had a um, a wise boss that <laughs> that put you on this path yes i am as well um my favorite part of being part of nami is i've learned is that in our own voice Mm -hmm. because i can tell my story to the world most times it's recorded to be played for other students when i go to colleges and i can tell it from beginning to end i can tell I can tell when I was diagnosed, which mm-hmm. was 1997. Oh, wow. And um, yes, that's around about the time that my nursing supervisor, I was nursing at the prison. She called me in her office one day and she said, I want to talk to you. And I said, OK. She said, 
I want you to see a doctor. I said, why? And her response was, because some days you come in here happy and then you get angry. Some days you come in here angry and then all of a sudden you're happy. She said it just changes so much. Hmm. I had not heard of any, besides being in nursing school, mm-hmm. these knowing, having personal experience with the diagnoses, I was not familiar. Yeah. I remember what we were taught, but we didn't stay on that subject long at all. So <laughs> it really did it no justice. Yeah. Um, so I went to see a psychiatrist. I figured if she told me that she wanted me to see a doctor, there must be something really wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, because as I was telling you, I have a son with severe uh, mental health diagnoses. Uh, in 2014, I want to say, I I had tried several times to commit suicide by overdosing. Okay. And it's like I would never die. I and I'm I'm backtracking here a second. That's okay. Wherever the story takes you, that's where we're gonna go. Thanks. Yeah. So I would try back in the day they had a pain pill called Darvacet. They took it off the market because it caused a lot of problems. But I would be in pain. And no one knew why I was in pain. I was physically in pain. Mm. And once I learned more about the diagnosis and depression, it does cause you to feel like you're in pain. So the doctor just gave me pain pills. And I would get really stressed. I took 20 Dorvacet one night. Wow. thinking, okay, I'm not going to wake up this time. <clears throat> I woke up <laughs> to the sun shining, the birds chirping, and I love to hear birds chirping. Mm-hmm. And immediately, quite honestly, I was very upset with God because I said, why am I still here? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here anymore. This world is too hard. So then I said, okay, well, obviously trying to die by overdose is not the one for me. I'm not going to cuddle myself. That leaves scars. So in 2014, I had another nervous breakdown. And it was about my son not being able to help him. So can I stop you for one second there? Um, So when you woke up that next morning, uh, was that, did you seek any help or additional help at that point? Or was it just still between you and God at that point? No, it was just between he and I. Okay. Um, actually, I passed out. I'm from a different city than Houston. Mm-hmm. And I was at family's house when I did this. So when I passed out there, they immediately called my mama. <laughs> And they were, I remember hearing them say, do you want us to call 911? And my mama said, no. Didn't know why she said that other than my mama's me. (laughs) 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 And, but I woke up, it's like she knew I was gonna be okay. Mm -hmm. But when they put her on the phone with me, she fussed at me a lot and I passed smooth out. And I never sought any help. Didn't know how to seek help. Yeah. 
didn't know who to talk to. I was maybe 20. Okay. So, and this was even before I knew I had a diagnosis. So, with that, that stress, because I remember, I remembered uh, the title of the podcast. I figured if I couldn't die by overdose and I wasn't going to cut myself, I figured, hmm, with my nursing knowledge, now how can you actually make this work for one of this time? Uh-huh. I had, I had just stopped being a police officer and I got hurt. So that sent me into a big depression because it took me out of my line of work that I love. Mm-hmm. On this particular day, my son was at my window yelling and screaming at nothing, but it was something in his eyes. And I sat on the side of the bed and I said, well, if I can't die those ways, surely if I put a gun to my heart, the body has to die. Wow. And I sat there and that was my plan. And my son walked in the room, my other son, my middle child, Mm -hmm. who also has psychiatric issues, but won't go get diagnosed. Um, He came in the room. He said, Mom, what are you doing? I said, son, I can't take this anymore. I can't heal your brother. I want to be a cop. That's who I am. I am a cop. And I ended up going to Ben Top. And somehow I went there for chest pain, but somehow I ended up telling somebody about my plan to kill myself. And I ended up in a psychiatric hospital. My first and prayerfully my last. <laughs> yeah. The, that, that was hard. That was hard. And I'm glad now that I didn't kill myself mm-hmm. because I never would have met my husband who was, I met him when all this started. He supported me in going to the hospital and getting help. And my children would never have heard my story. Yeah. They would have wondered all their life, why did mama do this? Yeah. Yeah, I. So when you say going to the hospital was hard, what what do you mean by that? What was well? Um, I know if it comes up anywhere that you went to a psychiatric hospital, then you're looked at differently. Okay. That's why, as a nurse and as a police officer, <clears throat> I never told anyone. Okay. Because you're also treated like you're not good enough or qualified to do the job. And I tell a lot of people when I do tell them about me, I say, now, would you think that I was bipolar? They're like, no. I'm like, I know. You wouldn't know unless I told you. Mm -hmm. So the stigma people have about telling people, oh, you're crazy or they're crazy or Oh, that's nothing that a good butt whipping won't fix when they're kids. 
things like that really affected me. And my kids never would have known had I succeeded in whichever way I chose to kill myself. Mm -hmm. So now they can, my daughter can take from the things that I've told them and been honest with them about and she can compare it to whatever she's feeling in her life and know, well, mama ought to know something about this. Mama has had her down times. Mama has tried to commit suicide. When she's depressed, she calls me. She has a support system. I didn't have a support system. Yeah. Until NAMI. NAMI is my support system. Yeah, I think it's so sad that you spent your life in service to others, being a police officer, being a nurse, working in prisons. Um, and that there is ever that thought that because you went to a mental hospital, and I know that's accurate, um, uh, but that somehow makes you less than. Mm -hmm. You know, when I think it actually makes you more than that, that you now have a different experience experience that you can serve people in a different way mm -hmm. um and uh but but yeah i you know suicide rates among police officers are higher than than yes. the average it's because it's not talked about you know you have to be a tough guy and it's such a shame that we we i mean i'm i'm hoping that because of what we're doing Mm -hmm. in NAMI and and well everybody nationally we it's it seems like we're on an upswing we can begin to talk about this stuff now and I hope that finally leads to you know when a, a police officer needs to go to a mental hospital that they're not basically removed from duty and shamed and, and yes that's uh you know it's it's really no different than high blood pressure <clears throat> did you know that they take your gun from you? No, I did not know that. That happens? No. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ridiculous. You know, do they take your kitchen knives from you? <laughs> you know? They should, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go along that thinking, I, uh, there's how many ways are there to end our own lives Is that if that's what we choose, you know? And, um, right. Uh, yeah, really, really a shame. But, uh, so what, why do you feel comfortable now? To, are you still, are you still are a nurse or? Yes, I'm still okay. a nurse. I have a job that I work from home. Okay. Is your home health or something like that? Is that what you're doing? Uh, no, I, um, I work with insurance mm. and I work uh, with a company that's not even in Texas. I'm the only Texas one besides the vice president. Um, but. I do prior authorization. Sure. So, you know, when you go and have that surgery and mm -hmm. have, your doctor has to send it off, I'm the person that it comes through to say, yeah, they can have the surgery or no, it's not a medically necessary. Okay. Yeah. So do you feel comfortable? Does your employer know that stuff? And, and are you comfortable or more comfortable now than you were before? Um, on the application, it asks, on all the applications now, it asks, do you have a disability? Mm -hmm. And the other job that I was on before this one with the county, 
I had become the chairperson for a group for people that had physical and mental disabilities. So I was a chairperson. That really brought me out of my shell. Oh, okay. Open up to my other members to understand about what we were trying to do about equality in the workplace, mm-hmm. things like that. So with this new job, I check. I actually checked this time that I had a disability because bipolar and other mental illness diagnoses are so called invisible disabilities. Mm-hmm. It specifically asks you, are you bipolar? Do you have schizophrenia, uh, depression? I actually checked them this time. Okay. Because one, I wanted to see what they were going to (laughs) do. Two, there are days that I just, I can't work because it's a bad day for me. Mm -hmm. There aren't a lot of them, but there are bad days where I cannot focus. I might be hypomanic. And I need to not work. So I let my boss, I always let my bosses know that I have, I don't necessarily tell them all the diagnosis title. Sure. But I do let them know a little bit about me. And like I've explained to them what IOOV is. So they should, that I speak in that. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm hoping for them to garner what I'm saying as, oh, she has a diagnosis. And, but she's a still a very good worker. Mm-hmm. She doesn't take time off. She, unless she has to, she gets a lot of work done. And she's intelligent because those are the things most people think about people with mental illness diagnosis. Yeah. They think they're unintelligent. Yeah. So when you're, how do you recognize you're in a, a manic phase? Oh my! <laughs> um, I start talking really fast. Okay. My thoughts are flight, flighty. I'm in brain fog. Um, brain, and I describe it as the people in the cartoons have the thoughts pop up in their <laughs> head, and they're a little cloud. Yeah, the thought bubbles. Yes. Yeah. I pick, that's who I describe it. I have a whole bunch of thought bubbles on my head right now and I can't pick one out. So, yes, I start speaking fast. <clears throat> um, I have those thought bubbles everywhere where I'm in one place and no place at all. Mm-hmm. I don't sleep. Um, I Without sleep medicine that my psychiatrist has given me, I would stay up for weeks. Wow. So, um, when I am manic or hypomanic, even with the medicine, I don't sleep many hours. Mm-hmm. But I've learned my triggers. My trigger is stress. So whatever I'm going through, if it's a lot, I'm going to end up in a hypomanic or a manic episode. So I try to work really hard on my mental health wellness plan mm-hmm. where I can, I listen to hypnosis meditation I've always liked hypnosis that's what I use to calm me down and when I'm in those hypomanic or manic states where I'm really flighty and spending more than I already do (laughs) 
um, I listen to the hypnosis and it calms me, it relaxes me. Regular meditation doesn't do that for me, but hypnosis meditation works for me. Okay. It helps my brain to stop. And, but you, how long does it take when you're, when you're starting to go into that kind of phase? How long does it take for you to, to realize that you're there or? Um, uh, about half a day to a day. Okay. About half a day to a day because I'll realize, oh, I didn't sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I'm tired, but I can't sleep. Or I'm doing a lot of cleaning around the house. Okay. You know, you're always welcome to come over to our place if you're in one of those phases. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, no, thank you. Okay. Because I right. don't like to clean. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I I think that's one of the biggest challenges I've had is paying attention to what's going on in me. And because mm-hmm. I spent my whole life not doing that. And mm-hmm. so that was that was really my biggest challenge. So what what do you find just in normal daily life? What's what's been your biggest challenge in keeping yourself healthy? Trying to keep the stress off. Okay. Financial stress is my big thing right now. Okay. And I'm still going, but it feels like it's not getting any better, which is causing more stress, which I know I have to watch myself more closely now that I don't get mad mm-hmm. because I know that's my trigger. So I listen more to hypnosis. And I go to the gym at five o'clock in the morning. Very good. Very good. <laughs> um, yes. So that's what happens. Good. And so are you, do you work out every day? I try to. Okay. I um, had a back fusion last May. Okay. And when I was a police officer, I had another back surgery. So... Now I have what's called a failed back surgery syndrome, and it hurts. I hurt every day. Oh. I also have fibromyalgia. Fibromyalgia and mental illness diagnoses, I've read in several places, tend to run together. Your body hurting more, mm-hmm. and it has something to do with the chemicals, and I'm not a scientist, so I can't say for sure, but I have noticed in my research that body aches and a diagnosis run closely together. They run along the same track. Yeah, I and I'm not a scientist either. Um, uh, but I, I think that pain affects us. Yes. And if we're having physical pain, that's certainly going to impact our emotional well-being. It, yes. There's no way it can't. Um, so yeah, it's, and, and really that, I think the important thing about what we do within our own voice is we're going out and talking, not as a clinician, we're talking mm-hmm. about normal human beings. Cause I was kind of like you, I didn't know I was sick. I, I used mm-hmm. to see, uh, I used to see all the, the, the ads on TV for, for antidepressants you know, mm-hmm. do you do you feel sad and lonely? And and I would my thoughts were, yeah, everybody feels like that. You know, come on. You know, what are you kidding? I I 
had no idea that, oh, no, not everybody does go through that. That was just right. something that I hadn't dealt with yet. Um, so as you've been going through this recovery process and you're, you're, you're working out when you can, you're, you're paying attention to your thoughts and your behaviors, what, what surprised you about this journey? Go both good and bad. <clears throat> that I wanted to commit suicide at such an early age for no reason. Well, I can now say no reason, but then, you know, it's still the reason. The yeah. reason was I was depressed. I had an illness that I didn't know anything about. So I was going through my life as a 19, 20 year old how do they call it? Um, staying up two weeks at a time, crashing for three days. Staying up two weeks at a time, crashing for three days. Mm -hmm. And wanting to die. Yeah. Because I knew there was something wrong. I just didn't know what it was. Um, so, yes, wanting to commit suicide was a surprise for me that I wanted to especially knowing that I was raised in a Christian family and was at one point going to the Catholic church with my grandmother. So I knew how big of a sin that was. Mm -hmm. The good part is I got to explain to my kids why they saw me have so many breakdowns. They saw me have so very many breakdowns. I would sometimes scream. I was so manic that I would just scream, scream, scream for no reason. Mm -hmm. Just scream. I feel like that's all I could do. And they would just look at me and pat me on the back and say, Mama, it's going to be okay. But they didn't know what was going on. So if I had succeeded in what I tried to do all those years, they never would have known. So that was the good part. Mm -hmm. And I'm helping other people. Um, when I speak, I have always somebody at the end of the session that says, you know, you actually understand. And thank you so much for being open and honest. Or I can go and talk to somebody now just always a thank you and that's what makes my heart smile mm -hmm. yeah somebody benefited that's that's a good saying that's what makes my heart smile that's i like that i'm gonna steal that you can <laughs> <laughs> this that's the new name of the podcast <laughs> um <laughs> uh and i i agree though that when when I do a talk and um, and afterwards somebody comes up and, and you, you can see you've really touched another human being and made a difference in their lives. I mean, my God, that, that yeah, makes my heart smile. That's a good way to say it. Um, that's, those are powerful moments. And because it's such a, it's such a mental illness is such a dark thing and there's still so much we don't understand about it 
So reaching somebody who is in, I mean, my goal in, in everything I do, um, yeah, the my goal in everything I try to do around mental illness is I don't want somebody else that makes it to their 40s and decides that the best thing for them to do is to kill themselves because with without knowing that i mean it was such a uh my hospitalization was was one of the best weeks of my life that i finally knew that what i was dealing with was treatable and that it, it had a name i just thought you know i was a piece of crap and that it would have been better off if i were dead so you know i would have loved to hear something like we do now and would i have heard it i don't know mm. but you know all i can do is put out the stories and and hope that it it makes an impact so it will make somebody's heart smile yeah yeah um so what what when you're going through your tough times what's that inner dialogue for you what do you what are you saying to yourself and what were you saying to yourself in your darkest times? In my darkest times, it was, <clears throat> this life hurts. Mm. Life hurts and I'm tired of it. I'm tired of it hurting. Mm -hmm. That's what, that would be my dialogue. I'm tired of hurting. It's, it was always painful. The commercials talk about it mm -hmm. and it was very painful for me so i wanted to make it all stop that's all i knew i have to make this stop i have to make this stop <sighs> then i would talk to was then has been for most of my life my best friend and she would stay up with me three o'clock in the morning talking to me so I could get through a, another day. I figured if I could get you, would always tell me things are brighter in the morning. And I was like, no, they're not. <laughs> no, they aren't. My day is not going to be any better. But that's what she kept pushing. Mm -hmm. Every time we had to stay on the phone to help me get out of a bad day or a cloudy day or a manic day she would say now try to get some rest because tomorrow always looks better so I gave you my goods and my bads so have the bads is the bad are the bad times more manageable now oh yes mm -hmm. because my faith has gotten stronger and I will just go around the house just whispering to myself, God help me. And before I know it, it's bedtime and once I go to bed and wake up the next day, I'm a little better. So yeah, they're more manageable. Okay. So what, what makes you feel powerful and what makes you feel powerless right now? Mm. It's just amazing what 
IOOV has done for me. What makes me feel powerful is letting people know that whatever they're going through, they're not alone. And there's someone that understands about just about anything. I've been through a lot, so I can relate to a lot of people. People wouldn't even know, understand, or think, how does she make it? Mm -hmm. My... Um, ask me the last question again, Kevin. Is there anything that makes you feel powerless? Yes, powerless. Yes, my son, the mm. oldest one with the severe mental illnesses. Yeah. I feel powerless because I can't, I'm a fixer by nature. Mm -hmm. I'm a helper by nature. And I can't, in my own words, fix him. It hurts me when I hear him say, Mama, I feel like I'm losing my mind. The voices are so bad, I feel like I'm losing my mind. I don't understand, Mom. Uh, or why do I have to listen to people talk about God? Because he is, in his illness, his perception on what, what I taught him as a Christian mm -hmm. has gone. He no longer believes in God but everyone in the house does. And that hurts me because I can't help him. He, he came to me yesterday and said, Mama, I should feel like I'm at home in my house too. I said, yeah. He said, well, Mama, why do I have to listen to people talk about God? It's all those voices and telling me bad things about God. And all I could tell him is, baby, you can't change how people think and how they feel. And he's like, that's not fair, mama. And all I could tell him was, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's that's a that's tough. I one of my one of the guys I grew up with um, lost his youngest child like three or four weeks ago to suicide and um and the first thing he told me is that i guess that shows what kind of parent i am and and i said you know i i know it feels like that and but you know none of that's true um that everything you do is with your whole heart you know, and um, but, you know, not being able to fix that for him and him not being able to fix his child and you not being able to fix your child. Yeah, that's that's tough. That's tough. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. But then I can help someone else with that, too. Well, you know, and I imagine that there are things you do every day that helps your child. You know, um, honestly, Kevin, it doesn't feel like it. Sure. But that's me being hard on myself. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, it doesn't feel like that. You know, it's because mm -hmm. if if you should be able to fix it, that's yes. what, it, you know, and. Um, yeah. 
yeah, that, that that's tough. And huh. And I can't fix any of them yeah. because they all have some form of an illness. And so when you hear people saying it's familial, mm-hmm. it really is some kind of way passed down in genetics. Yeah, I, because, I agree. Yes, my mm-hmm. father has a diagnosis. My mother has a diagnosis. I have a diagnosis. All three of my kids have one. Hmm, I don't know anything above mom. I don't know about grandmother or grandfather and those things. But I had to come in both ways for me. Yeah. Well, congratulations. You hit the lottery. I know I did, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and I still haven't seen the money. <laughs> but you, you know what? It, uh, living with this and um, and being that example for your children is the most powerful thing you can ever do you know um, that's I lost my dad like almost 20 years ago now and and uh, but it's still it, uh, I didn't realize the things he taught me until after he was gone. Not, I mean, not everything, but, you know, mm-hmm. I, I am my father's son and and the best parts about me are, are you know, my parents mm-hmm. and what they gave to me and um, the things they taught me. And and a lot of that was just by their example. And um, and but, yeah, as, as a family, you know, the Irish Catholic family, we've certainly dealt with the substance abuses and and Mm -hmm. the depression and uh suicide and all those things right um but also as a family we we get through this and you know that's that's the greatest gift there is and um so i i'm i'm sorry it's tough for you but but also you know you're you're a kick-ass mom because you're you're showing your kids how to do it, <laughs> you know. Thank you. And yeah, well, that's that's uh, there is no more important job, you know. Right, right, and I agree, Kevin. Yeah. Yep. So, anything else you'd like to share with our worldwide audience? Mm, give me a second. <laughs> <laughs> I shared the overdose. I've shared the gun. I've shared my diagnoses. I've shared the family. Nope, everyone should have a pretty good All idea right. now. Well, very good. And <laughs> um, and I, I hope people that are listening can can hear this. And I mean, these are really tough things to talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, but as you begin to talk about them, they don't have control over you anymore. Yes. That. Yeah. So right. Yeah, we're we're not we're not so ashamed of our shame. <laughs> that, you know what? Screw it. I'm going on. And um and yeah, you look for ways to make your heart happy. And that's that's a a good way to to end it for the night. And so Kawana, thank you very much for for being part of this. And if you ever have anything else to say, let me know. Um you're always welcome and and uh, um, 
And thank you for serving people. Yes, yes. You're welcome, dear. And thank you for Mm -hmm. having me. And thank you for everyone listening. And with that, we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're wondering how to support the podcast, please make a donation to NAMI Greater Houston. That's N-A-M-I greaterhouston.org is where you can find them on the internet. They're a chapter of the National Alliance of Mental Illness and actually my home chapter and have been really important in my recovery story. So again, NAMI Greater Houston at NAMI greaterhouston.org.